the sermon is from Grace City Church, located in DY, Sydney, Australia. If you'd like to know more about us, head to gracecitychurch.net. Okay, we're going to look at our third session in the life of Joseph, the story of Joseph. Um, And we'll then, as I said at the beginning, we'll finish off next Sunday uh, when we gather as a church. And so the story so far, just to remind you, because yesterday was a long time ago, a lot's happened since then, (laughs) that uh, God had decided to bless every people group on earth through a particular family. He called one family to bless all the families of the earth, the family of Abraham. However, we found that there were certain wrong attitudes became like strongholds in this family line. Favoritism, jealousy and deception, so that in each generation you had those characteristics. And we saw how Joseph suffered from that. And Joseph had been sold into slavery, had prospered in Potiphar's house, and even in prison, acting like a manager in both. He was in prison through injustice, just like he was sold into Egypt in injustice. Well, so now we have Joseph in prison. And I'm going to continue the story. I'll tell it for a little while, then we'll read a little bit more of it, and then we'll learn from it. Remember, as I said yesterday, Joseph was not in the general prison. He was in the palace prison, the one where actually people were probably there for a shorter shorter term generally. Uh, They were people of favor, uh, where uh, those who were the um, king's officials, Pharaoh's officials would be, so he was in the palace prison, not in the general jail. And I shared yesterday why that probably was, that Potiphar probably hadn't really believed his wife's report. But then Pharaoh got angry with two of his important officials. These two jobs may not seem terribly important to us. It's not ones that are characteristic now of... Uh, You don't elect your chief cupbearer in Australia, do you, or anything like that? Uh, Because the, but when you're in a, when you're when you're an absolute monarch like Pharaoh, actually you're on the one hand very secure, on the other hand very insecure, because you aren't surround you 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 are depending on people's loyalty to you, and so the Pharaoh would have these two important officials. The first one was the chief cupbearer. Now, again, I say it doesn't carry much of a job. It doesn't sound much of a job. What's your job? I carry a cup to the king. Okay. But actually, the chief cupbearer was very important because he was the one who put his life on the line every time Pharaoh had a drink because he would taste the wine first to make sure there was no poison in it before giving it to the king. And actually, although, again, that doesn't sound much of a job, uh, short-term job, yeah, uh, but although it doesn't, actually, a cupbearer became one in, who often became the king's confidant. 
We actually find that later with Nehemiah in the Bible. He was cupbearer to the king. And he had the, the result of that was he had the ear of the king in confidence. Most people couldn't approach the king in those days. Read that in the story of Esther. How even the queen couldn't just wander in to see her husband. You know, she had to wait to see whether he would go through the right protocol to bring her here in. Whereas the cupbearer always went in because Pharaoh wanted to drink fairly frequently. And so the cupbearer was someone who was regularly in the king's presence and he uh, therefore was a confidant of the king. Then there was the chief baker. I guess we could see a little bit more point to him. Uh, you know, most of us like our pastries. But bread and cake were very important to the Egyptians of that day. In fact, a contemporary uh, dictionary from ancient Egypt, not that I've read it in the original, but I read about it, said in ancient Egypt there were 38 kinds of cake and 57 varieties of bread. I often wonder where Heinz got it from, but apparently it was 57 <laughs> varieties of bread in, uh, in ancient Egypt. And so, and both these people had to be really trusted because each could they were, each were the only ones that could, in the end, poison the king. You know, the cupbearer could slip something in if, if, he, if somebody else had got him on side after he'd tasted it, and, of course, the chief baker. Well, somehow, and absolute monarchs often get a, just don't like people on a whim, and somehow both had offended and made Pharaoh angry. And so both of them had been put into this same palace prison that Joseph was in. And so Joseph looked after these important men. Because even in prison, they would have been important. I told you yesterday how that's true in uh, prisons in certain countries today. I told you about the churches we've planted in prisons in Ukraine and Russia. And, uh, you know, how the... The guy who was previously a mafia uh, sort of godfather who's come to Christ and now taking leadership in this church in a prison and uh, led that prison guard to Christ that uh, I was telling you about yesterday. And so even in the prisons, there would be sort of hierarchies. Again, many places, that's still very much the case. And, uh, and so, but Joseph was given the responsibility, because he was like a manager in the prison, of looking after these two important men. Well, one night, each of these two had a dream. Now, many cultures, and certainly this was the case of Egyptian culture of that time, attach much importance to dreams. And I'm going to come back to that and talk about that a little bit later, because I don't suppose we get much teaching on dreams and their interpretation, but I'll do that a little bit later. Uh, because one advantage of just going through a character in the Bible is that you have to deal with everything that he got involved with, and you can teach, therefore, on things that you don't normally teach about. And so, dreams were very significant 
in Egyptian culture, as in many cultures today, and dream interpretation was a good business. Okay? <laughs> if you were into dream interpretation, because it was so highly valued, you would get paid pretty well. In fact, again, as you go through the Old Testament, you find many examples of that. Often, uh, when God comes in and reveals a dream, Nebuchadnezzar had the same. First, they consulted all the professionals in their culture, the professional dream interpreters. By the way, why do I go into all this detail? Well, I hope it makes it interesting. But secondly, because the job of every preacher is to make the Bible have the same impact upon us today as it would upon the original hearers. And the original hearers were living in that culture, so they understood it. So that's why I always like to explain the cultural background so that it has the same impact on us. Otherwise, we miss a lot of things. And so, dream interpreters were a professional group of people around most of these cultures who would be consulted and paid well if they got a good interpretation. Well, these two guys, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, had dreams. And Joseph noticed they were sad. Why do you think they were sad? Well, they were sad because they didn't know what the dreams meant and there was no dream interpreter in prison. I mean, imagine being in prison with no dream interpreter. <laughs> I mean, desperate, isn't it? <laughs> so there was no dream interpreter in prison. And so Joseph was asked. Well, Joseph said, after he'd inquired, why are you so miserable? They said, we both had a dream. He said, well, actually interpretations don't belong to dream interpreters. They belong to God. And he trusted God that God would give him the gift of dream interpretation. Well, cupbearer said, I had a dream. I saw a vine with three branches which budded and blossomed and grapes were squeezed into Pharaoh's cup. And... Joseph explained that three days, the three branches represented three days, and in three days you will be restored. Also, when Joseph gave that interpretation from God, he saw a good chance, because Joseph would have thought like an Easterner, because he was an Easterner, and most of the Bible is Eastern anyway. You understand, don't you? Christianity is an Eastern religion, not a Western one. I have to keep saying that in some of the places I go to because they think Christianity comes from the West. But it doesn't. So Joseph was thinking like an Easterner and an Easterner thinks, if I find someone who has favour and I have favour with them, then I will perhaps, favour will be shown to me. That theme actually runs right through scripture. It's not, it's not right or, you know, it's not in our sort of meritocracy that we believe we have in the West, we tend not to go by that sort of thing. But actually, it was a perfectly valid way of proceeding. It's not bad. And so if you know someone of influence, that person of influence can help you get through. So Joseph saw his opportunity to get out of prison. He said, I mean, he had 
Who of greater influence could he find other than the king himself? But the king's cupbearer. And so he said, remember me when you get out of prison. Because I'm here unjustly. And will you speak to the king for me so that I can get out as well? Well, the chief baker heard this interpretation. (laughs) And he thought, that's pretty good. This is a, after all, there is a dream interpreter in prison, and he gives favourable interpretations. <laughs> I'm trying to let you get the drama of this. I know some of you know the story, but because we know the story, we don't actually let its impact really hit us. Imagine that, wow, what a great interpretator. And I, I, had, I had things, I had three as well. Here's my dream. <laughs> I had three baskets of bread on my head. And in the top basket was special bread for Pharaoh. He was, you know, running it up a bit, I think. But the birds were eating them. Oh, said Joseph. God's given me the interpretation of yours as well. In three days, you will be executed. (laughs) Well, three days later was Pharaoh's birthday. The cupbearer, as Joseph had predicted, was restored to his place and the baker executed. But the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. (laughs) Two years later, now imagine, you know, every day Joseph would have been hoping, I wonder, will the cupbearer remember me today? After all, I gave him a good interpretation. Two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. And in his dream, and the Bible repeats it, Pete was, when he was preaching on Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego yesterday, you know, found biblical repetition a little tiresome. And uh, so he kept saying, he jumped, you know, he didn't mention the zither and the bagpipes and all the rest of it. <laughs> Kept jumping and all the names of all the officials. And I fully understand because he was preaching to a Western audience. But actually that repetition in those stories is how stories were told. You know? Tell stories to your kids like that, don't you? Yeah? you repeat and repeat. And so this story of these was repeated, you know, Pharaoh had this dream, this is what it was, then he repeated what he was told what it was. And his dream was that there were seven fat cows grazing by the Nile. Okay? Fat in that context was very good, by the way. Okay? So seven fat cows were grazing by the Nile. And then... Seven ugly and gaunt cows came out of the Nile and ate the seven fat cows. Then he had another dream. There were seven full healthy ears of corn. But then he saw seven other ears of corn scorched by the wind from the desert. Well, what did Pharaoh do? What you always do. Sent for the dream interpreters... And all the dream interpreters, despite their skill in the business and all cultures that believe in uh, 
in dreams meaning something have a load, all load of symbolic things which different dreams represent. And I'll come back to that later. But nobody could interpret it. And then, this is the drama of the story, the cupbearer remembered. Oh, yeah, I had a dream once. <laughs> and it was interpreted by a guy. There's a guy in prison who can interpret dreams. So the cupbearer, remember, very important guy, confidant of the king. That's why this whole story hangs together. The confidant of the king and said there's a young Hebrew who could interpret our dreams. Well, I've told you the story so far. Let's read a little bit more, shall we, from God's word. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. Just imagine this, by the way. Okay? This man in prison, who's been a slave, is suddenly hauled up before the most powerful man in the world. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, he repeated it again, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I have never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. (laughs) Don't you like these stories? The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell they'd done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. (laughs) In my dreams, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads, I told this to the the magicians, that's the dream interpreters, but none could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. See, God speaks to pagan kings. That's important to remember. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land. I mean, this is going for it, isn't it? He's just asked for the dream interpretation, and now he is bringing words of wisdom to the king as to how to run the country. (laughs) 
Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years of the coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food shall be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh. And to all these officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, and there's no one so discerning and wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath-Paneah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So this whole process of the last uh, two days that we've been teaching is, thir- is 13 years. During the seven uh, and, and during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, <coughs> he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Okay, so there's the story. And all these great Bible stories are brilliant stories. I've forgotten who it was, but one English writer, modern modern novelist, wrote in the... I read it in the Sunday Times magazine. That's an English newspaper. uh, A few years ago, and he wrote this. He was talking about his atheism, and he was talking about the fact that he was an atheist, and then he said, but I have to admit, 98% of the world's best stories are in the Bible. Okay, because they are. I don't know where the other 2% are, but... (laughs) But dreams and their... So what do we learn? Well, firstly, dreams and their interpretation. They're often used in Scripture as a way God communicates. In Scripture, God speaks both to believers and unbelievers through dreams. God speaks to believers and unbelievers. He spoke to Abimelech when Abraham had been deceitful. He spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. He spoke to Solomon about when Solomon asked for wisdom 
He spoke to Joseph, the husband of Mary, and warned him in a dream. He spoke to Paul. Actually, it was called a vision in the night. I'm not sure what the difference between a vision in the night and a dream is. But uh, when he said to Paul, I've got many people in this city, when Paul was getting a bit depressed of lack of fruitfulness in Corinth, when you get depressed through lack of fruitfulness in what you've done, you need a good dream like this. I've got many people in this city. And, of course... In the book of Acts, it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Now, I don't think that's particularly in order to distinguish between older men and younger men, that one sees visions and the other dream dreams. It's rather, it's just a, 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 the Hebrew way of emphasizing something uh, and then showing that it covers all people. So, today, God often speaks to unbelievers about himself through dreams, and they need, unbel- they need believers to interpret it. It happens with many Muslims, for example. Okay? Let me tell you a few stories. Yeah? I'm telling you Bible stories, I'm telling you today stories, all the way through. It's how I preach nowadays. In, I've met this lady in Turkey. She was asleep. She was a, a Muslim. Had never ever heard of Christianity. Knew nothing about it. Just knew Isa was a prophet in the Quran. Isa is the term in the Quran for Jesus. So that's the word we use in those countries. And. This woman was an epileptic. And she had a dream. And the prophet Isa appeared to her, touched his hand out to her, and said, you're healed of your epilepsy. Well, she wondered what to do with that. That was her dream. And so she went to a doctor a little bit later, asked for tests for epilepsy. They did tests for epilepsy, couldn't find any record of it. Not record of it, it was in her records, but not any sign of it. So, but he said, it's impossible. So she went to another doctor who did the same and said it was impossible as well. And she told each doctor, the prophet Isa appeared to me in a dream. Well, she didn't know what to do next, so she googled is there anyone in Izmir who knows about Isa? That's <laughs> what you do, isn't it? You don't have dream interpreters now, you go on Google. And so, <laughs> and she found our church website. And so she started writing to them, and they invited her along to church. She said, oh, I can't go to church, I'm a Muslim. And so for several months, they just communicated electronically until eventually she came, met Isa personally, gave her life to him, got baptised. I've met her, spoken to her several times. Okay, she had a dream. And for those in Muslim countries, people are coming to Christ through three ways mainly. Dreams, 
healings, and that of course was a combined one, and personal relationships. More Muslims are coming to Christ now than ever through history. And we've just got to remember that. What it means, of course, is you need lots of believers in Muslim lands to interpret. Because God is speaking to them. God is speaking to unbelievers. He can break in where we can't. We've just planted a church in a place called Ula. And a couple went to join that church, and they were from the States and hadn't learned Turkish very well. They tried, but hadn't. They were a bit old and hadn't really got hold of it. And normally I don't like planting churches in these countries with people that don't know the language. So I said, what else made you move to this church plant? Well, they said, simply, we're just going to pray for people to have dreams about Jesus. I said, okay, that's a good ministry. So that's what they did. Within three or four months of that church plant being launched... Four people had come to the church office because we have a little office. uh, That's how people can contact us. To say they'd had dreams about Isa. Could they please know a bit more? Good way of evangelism, isn't it? God speaks to unbelievers. He's doing it here in Pharaoh. First lady who had a dream about Isa. She came to the church office and said, that's what happened, can you help me? They gave her an injil, which is the Quranic word for the New Testament. And then, about four or five weeks later, she came back again. They said, have you started reading the injil? Oh yes, she said, I've read it twice. <laughs> that beats most of us, doesn't it, really? <laughs> yes, I've read it twice, she said. And what I didn't tell you about was that when I came, having had my dream to pick up the New Testament, she said, I was actually leaving my husband. He'd been cruel to me, and I was running away to another city. But she said, having read the Injil, I realized that wouldn't please Jesus, so I'm going back to him. See? God speaks. I could tell you more stories, but I haven't got time. But God is speaking to people through dreams. And it just needs people that can interpret. So, but in tape, but many cultures have folklore books which give you dream interpretation. There's a brother in our church who comes from Trinidad. And... Uh, he often has prophetic dreams, and he, when he first came to me to say, can you help with me my dream interpretation, he said, because I can't interpret dreams because I learned to interpret dreams in my pre-Christian days according to all the folklore of our, and I know what this symbolizes and what that symbolizes, I know that's not God's way, so I don't interpret dreams, but God speaks to him often through dreams. Quite powerfully. Shared one in our church just a few weeks ago again. And so the dream was a revelation from God. 
Joseph realised that. He said, no, I, you see, spiritual gifts aren't possessions, they're dynamic impartations from God in the moment. You know, if you have a prophecy, it's not that you possess prophecy, you hear from God at that moment, or may not be at that moment, maybe sometime before, but until the right time is to deliver it. But you don't possess prophecy. We don't possess gifts in that sense. If, do you understand what I mean? Now, other, other ministers, at least not in terms of those 1 Corinthians, 9, miraculous, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, miraculous gifts. There are other things like gifts of helps and, and so on, which is a little bit different. But they're not possessions. And Joseph understood that. Joseph, I haven't got the, I haven't, don't possess the gift of interpretation of dreams, but I believe God will give an interpretation. So what we possess is faith that God will do something. And Romans 12 says that your gift functions according to your measure of faith. So, it was a direct revelation from God. Interpretation of dreams is a bit like interpretation of tongues. You know, we had an interpretation of tongues today, and the person who had the who gave the tongue felt the burden of his spirit lifted when the interpretation came because it was a correct one also this was an amazing god's confirmation to joseph you see god here is not only blessing egypt He's also confirming his call to his servant, Joseph. Because do you remember, Joseph had two dreams. Remember that yesterday morning? Okay. Joseph had two dreams. Then, in the healing process that God, that God is doing to bring Joseph into his position of fulfilling all his calling... He gives him confirmation. So he gives two dreams to a cupbearer and a baker. And he gives two dreams to Pharaoh. Joseph is getting the message, ah, two dreams mean something. It means God is confirming because I had two dreams. And so Joseph is beginning to understand. I wonder whether that was why he had such confidence to be able to tell Pharaoh how to run his country. Because somehow now, all he's been made for, all he's been called for, which for ages he's been in slavery and prison, suddenly God is saying, remember those two dreams? Now it's two dreams again, and two dreams again. It's your time, Joseph. Do you see? Those are important moments. God, when we go through pain and difficulty in our growth with God, God heals, but also in that healing is the fulfillment of the call that he actually put in us before all the pain. That's what happened with Joseph. Called of God, didn't handle it well, Boasted about it at breakfast time, which wasn't the best move. And then, <laughs> in prison, when will my destiny be fulfilled? 
Okay, Joseph, now two dreams, two dreams, step up. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Keep going, I'm all right, I suddenly. Because it was God's timing now for Joseph. Joseph had attempted to organize his way out of prison, Eastern style. God said, no, not that way. You're not going to be able to organize this one at all, Joseph. It'll be when I open the door. That's a hard, hard lesson for many of us to learn as Christians. You get a promise from God, and you think, I've got to do something about this promise for God. No, you have not. (laughs) I've got to organize this promise being fulfilled. No, you don't. Abraham, who brought all the, a lot of these problems into the family, as well as faith, as we saw yesterday, he tried to organise fulfilment of the promise. You know, Sarah had a good idea one day. You haven't got a son? Oh, well, let's organise it. Let's take the slave girl and have a son through her. That's what, ha- what, what happens when you try and organise the fulfilment of God's promises in your life is Ishmael. I've been caught on this a few times. I can remember times when, you know, I know God's spoken, so I've tried to organise or even manipulate the fulfilment of what God says. You ever done that? Mama, you're all very righteous. Sorry. I, I, you know, I... <laughs> I, I keep forgetting I've come to a very, yeah... Very upright church. I can't really talk about thing, difficulties like this. Okay, but I know I have done. Try to organize. Yes, God had said it, just like God had said it to Joseph. But Joseph had to wait till God opened the door. And do that, please. Do not fulfill the promises yourself. God is the promise fulfiller, not you. You then just walk in obedience when he opens the door. And so... Joseph was now ready in terms of maturity. He was now 30 years old. That means he's mature. Doesn't it, 30-year-olds here, right? (laughs) He's 30. Now, God can and does use people younger than that. But just remember, in the early stages of your service for God, God is always doing more in you than through you. Jesus was 30 years old. It was a time when you were received in that culture. Now, don't mean don't do anything before you're 30. Joseph did plenty. But actually, his his being received by others came at a point where in that culture they would receive. Now, praise God, in our culture, it's younger than 30 often we'll receive. But still, it is still true that we have to... Uh, if if we're young, we don't put ourselves into situations of authority. We wait for God to open doors. He was not brash any longer. When he came down to breakfast, I've had a dream! (laughs) Listen, you lot! He wasn't brash any longer. He said, only God can give interpretations. He was much more humble. And training had developed another gift, spiritual gift, the word of wisdom. So he was not able only to interpret, 
but apply the interpretation and tell Pharaoh what he needed to do. Some gifts develop through training, even if it's unpleasant training, like being in prison. Okay. Yeah? And so, the gift of interpretation of dreams was supernatural. The gift of the word of wisdom came because God had developed him and developed him and developed him. And developed him in situations which he wouldn't expect to be in. You know, God develops you. See all your circumstances as God's developing. If you're having a tough time at work, say, hallelujah, God's developing me. So that I can bring words of wisdom into other situations. Because God's at work in everything. God doesn't just develop people in church. In fact, he probably develops people in the world more than he does in church. I mean, Christians in the world. You know, you learn more. You know, it's... Because it's tough. Often. And... God's preparation often seems like impatient, like frustration. Do we have the patience? I'm just going to finish this section, then we'll take a break, and I'll, I feel that the next section I want to talk about Jesus, Joseph as a representative of Christ. It'll only take five minutes, so I think it'll be a good running into communion. Do you think that's good? Yeah, okay. Okay. So... Do we have patience by accepting God's timing? Ecclesiastes said, God has made everything beautiful in its time. What did it say? Why didn't it just say God's made everything beautiful? No, God's made everything beautiful in its time. Don't become weary in doing good, because in the right time, God will give you fruit. Don't like that right time bit, you know? I reckon he should do it now, don't you? Yeah. We want it now. There's a song about that one, wasn't there? Okay, we want it now. Okay. (laughs) And when God opens the door, it leads to amazing opportunities. And here he became vizier, as is a word, which means prime minister of Egypt. That was God's plan. God's plan... There was two aspects of God's plan for Joseph. One was to make him prime minister of Egypt to bless the nations, because that was the promise to Abraham. And secondly, to restore him to his family, but we'll talk about that next Sunday. Because God is interested in both. He's interested in blessing the nations and our families. And so Joseph was restored to bless the nations and his family. But we'll talk about that next week. But I just want to... uh, talk about Joseph as a picture of Jesus and how this represented healing for Joseph as well. And that'll just take five five minutes or so after the break. Is that okay?